The first reading is from the first book of Kings, chapter 19, reading verses 9 to 18. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whosoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Thanks be to God for his word. We will now sing, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord. The second reading is Matthew chapter 14, reading verses 22 to 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had missed the crowds, so he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified saying, it is a ghost. 
and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Thanks be to God for his word. Friends, we are here to meet with God, to encounter the God in whom we believe. I, I sometimes have a slight fear that Bloomsbury services can end up being a little bit like an interesting lecture on the nature of God, which is not the worst thing in the world. But we are here to meet with God and to be changed in the encounter and transformed by that moment. So before I come to the sermon, and I promise I will come to the sermon, I'd like to share a poem and I invite you to use the words of the poem to allow you to ponder where you are before God this morning and hopefully to feel the spirit of God reaching out to you. This is a poem called The Leaves Are For The Healing Of The Nations. The spirit gave up with a gentle whimper, grown hoarse from too much whispering. The wilderness was a big place for a lone voice, and it took efforts to keep calm and small and still. So the spirit stopped trying. Let them be deaf and I shall be dumb, she said. And do you know, people didn't notice, not straight away, not today or tomorrow. But in time, in time and in due course, the world grew colder, less connected, less alive. And the voice no one had heard was missed. And the earthquake came, and the loud winds blew, and the fires raged, and the spirit was nowhere to be found. Until one morning, not long before the end, a gentle wind stirred the leaves of the tree and fluttered the leaves of the book, and everyone stopped, and everyone noticed, and the wind in the leaves was for the healing of the nations. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts 
be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I made an interesting discovery um, many years ago, and uh, this was that I can actually walk on water. Uh, you don't believe me? It's true, I promise. Well, sort of. Um, it happened like this. Liz and I had gone on holiday to the Austrian Tyrol, and we had a lovely week taking cable cars to the tops of mountains, admiring views and taking a few relatively short walks. And at the top of one of these mountains near uh, Meyerhofen, there was a beautiful lake, crystal clear, a blue sky to match. And there floating on the lake are what I can only describe as three very large hamster balls. And a sign on the bank written in English proclaimed the slogan, you can walk on water, it's fun. Liz turned to me and said, quite rightly, you want to have a go in one of those, don't you? And I thought, yes, I do. But I also didn't want to make a complete fool of myself in public. Well, as we stood watching a young German girl, about 10 years old, decided to have a go. So the man in charge pulled one of the balls from the water, opened a zip at the side so she could climb in, and then zipped it up and pumped it up with her inside. And all she had to do was step off this little pontoon and start walking on the water. And she stood there, and she stood there, and she stood there. And then after a minute or so, she started crying in frustration because she didn't have the courage to step off into the water. And eventually the man in charge let her out and she walked back up the bank looking very upset with herself for not doing this thing she really, really wanted to do. And I thought, right, I'm in. Maybe if I do it, she'll see it's okay and then she'll come back and have another go. So I walked down the pontoon and after a brief discussion with the guy about my height to weight ratio, uh, he did point out this was more for children than adults. Um, before I knew it, I was zipped up inside this large, clear, spherical ball, and it was my turn to step out onto the water. And I did. I really did. I stepped out onto the water, and then I fell over. And then I stood up again, and I fell over again. And already you're getting an idea of how exhausting the next five minutes was going to be. Once I managed five steps at a run, and then I fell over. And Liz, meanwhile, was on the bank, filming the whole thing on her mobile phone and laughing quite a lot. Apparently, I drew something of a crowd. And when I had eventually uh, cried enough and was pulled back to land, I got a small round of applause. For my, uh, not for my success in walking on the water, which had been woeful, but in appreciation of the inherent comedy value of seeing a tall man repeatedly and determinedly falling over while stuck inside a giant hamster ball on top of a mountain lake. See, I told you I could walk on water. If you pay me enough money, we'll find you the video. And in today's reading, we hear of another Simon who stepped out onto the water in the middle of a storm and found that the reality of walking on water wasn't quite as edifying as he had perhaps hoped it would be. And taken together with the story of Elijah in his cave, today's readings invite us, I think, to consider those times in our lives when we find ourselves at the centre of the storm, in the eye of the whirlwind, those times when we find ourselves in the midst of the earthquake, caught in the heat of the fire, overwhelmed by the waters closing over us. They invite us to think about those times in our lives when things have not turned out quite 
as we hoped they would. Those times when we discover that we can't actually walk on water, despite our best efforts to do so. Those times when we start to sink, to scrabble, to go nowhere. Those times we fall over again and again and again, and the rest of the world seems to be laughing at us. Those times when we seek for God and hear only the whistling of the wind or the crashing of the earthquake or the rushing of the fire. Sometimes these moments in our lives are of our own making. Sometimes they are the result of our own stupidity, our own sinfulness, our own frantic efforts to spend our lives in a whirlwind of activity. But sometimes they just come on at us out of the blue, like a sudden storm in the mountains, which seems to come out of nowhere on an otherwise clear day. The sudden illness, the bereavement, the redundancy, the ending of a relationship, all these and so much more can come upon us and overwhelm us. And at such times, God can seem impossibly absent. Despite our longing to find God in the midst of our distress, in the midst of our turmoil, we find that every which way we turn, we are defeated, deafened, tossed about, overwhelmed, burned and shaken. In the midst of our fear and our doubt, sometimes God is not there. And at such times we may frantically seek for God in those places where we found God before, searching for God in the familiar places. We may long to experience the majesty of God, the awesomeness of God, telling ourselves that surely this is the God we need in our distress. The God who is more powerful, more mighty than the events of our unfolding lives. And yet, and yet the reality for many of us, is that all too often at such crisis moments in our lives, in spite of our best efforts, we simply cannot find God. So where has the great and mighty God gone when we need that God the most? This was the question facing Elijah the prophet as he sat in his cave cold, alone and afraid. Only a few weeks earlier, God had been dramatically present in the fire that had rained down from heaven on Mount Carmel at Elijah's command to consume the water-soaked offering in the famous standoff with the prophets of Baal. Only a few weeks earlier, God had been in the miraculous storm that had ended the drought in Israel as the cloud no bigger than a man's hand had grown to a mighty deluge of heavy rain. Elijah knew from his personal experience where to find God when life was tough. God was in the fire, God was in the storm. But now the storm had turned on Elijah and the fire of King Ahab's revenge was threatening to consume Elijah. 
He was a man on the run, afraid for his life, and stranded in the inhospitable wilderness. And at this moment of abandonment, Elijah did what many have done before and since, and he wished himself dead. How quickly things change. How quickly we can make that transition in our lives from glory and success to despair and despondency. But God had not finished with Elijah, even if Elijah had finished with God. And in the midst of his doubt and self-pity, God gave him bread and water to strengthen him for the next stage of his journey through the wilderness. Which brings him to where we find him today in the cave at Horeb, alone, abandoned and afraid. And in his cave, Elijah heard a voice telling him to go outside onto the mountain because the Lord is about to pass by. At last we can almost hear Elijah cry, God's back and this time he's angry. And sure enough, true to form, there's a whirlwind. And Elijah knows God will be in the whirlwind, but God isn't. And then there's an earthquake and Elijah knows God will be in the earthquake, but God isn't. And then there's a fire and Elijah knows God will be in the fire, but God isn't. Where has Elijah's God gone? Why is God no longer to be found where God has always been found before? What has changed? But then after the wind, the earthquake and the fire came the sound of sheer silence. This was something new for Elijah. He was used to finding God in the midst of the tumult and the turmoil of his battles with the idolatrous God of Baal and all of his false prophets. But the last place Elijah would look for God would be in the sound of silence. I can almost hear Elijah asking, so what does this silence sound like anyway? What noise does silence make? We have a phrase, don't we? The silence was deafening. We might use it to describe, for example, the response that we get when we have a notice to ask for volunteers for the PA rotor. But the sound of sheer silence heard by Elijah was not a sound of emptiness, not a sound of inactivity or indifference. It was rather a silence pregnant with new possibility. It was the silence of expectation, the silence of hope. Because in the sound of sheer silence, Elijah encountered God. Elijah encountered God in a new way. In the silence that followed the wind, the fire and the earthquake. In that silence, Elijah received his new commission. No longer was he to be the prophet of whirlwind activity. No longer was he to be the prophet of fiery temper. 
No longer was he the prophet who shook the very ground of people's being. The confrontations with the false prophets of Baal and the skirmishes with Ahab and Jezebel and those like them were all conflicts in the great battle against evil, which dramatic though they were in their own right, were not going to win the ultimate battle. And so the sound of sheer silence for Elijah led to a call to serve God in a new way. His new commission was to build a team. He appointed Hazael and Jehu and Elisha as the new leaders of the people of God. And he did so recognizing that he was no longer the lone voice, the lone wolf, the lone prophet. No longer is it he and he alone. The storms of Elijah's life that had led him ultimately to the despair and solitude of the cave now gave way to a quiet purposefulness that led him back into the world, but in a new way, with a new commission. Elijah's encounter with God in the silence that followed, when all the activity and storms and fire and earthquake had brought him to his knees, that encounter with God in that moment of deep darkness was a transforming encounter with the God who meets each of us in the depths of our moments of despair. The disciples made this same discovery late one night in the middle of a storm in the middle of a lake. The boat was far from the land and the wind was against them. These same disciples had, of course, only earlier that day witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. But the glory of that miraculous day in the sun must have seemed just a distant memory to them as they struggled through the long night on the lake, cold and afraid and in danger and in fear. The Jesus who had seemed so real to them a few hours earlier was nowhere now to be seen and they were alone and abandoned on the treacherous waters of the lake. And then just when they thought it couldn't get any worse, a spectral figure emerged from the storm, walking towards them on the surface of the lake. Is it any wonder they were convinced that they were looking at a ghost? Is it any wonder that they cried out in fear? But then, in the midst of their storm, they heard a voice, not the voice of the storm and not the voice of a ghost, but the voice of their friend and their teacher coming to them across the water, encouraging them to take heart, to not be afraid. In the midst of the storm, they heard their master's voice and realized that they were encountering him here in a new way, as the voice of calm, the voice of peace in the midst of the storm that threatened to overwhelm them. And then we're told Simon Peter jumped in with both feet, quite literally, out from the boat and into the water, walking across the water, really doing it, not in some hamster ball, not some desperate scrabble to go nowhere, but really walking on the water. 
And then no sooner had the realization hit that it was happening than the fear set in and he, in his turn, started to sink beneath the stormy waters. And the encouragement from Jesus to not be afraid received only moments before was forgotten as the fears of the storm and the waves and the water came crashing around him. And so Simon Peter in his turn needed to be rescued with Jesus catching his hand as he went down to the depths. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Asked Jesus of Peter. And Jesus might well ask the same of us too, might he not? How often have we been where Peter was, doubting and afraid as the waves have closed over our heads, the reassurances of the past lost to us in the trials of the present? How often have we been where Elijah was, wishing ourselves dead and unable to any more hear the voice of God. And yet the testimony of scripture is that neither Peter nor Elijah were abandoned. The surprising reality for both of them was that they encountered God in a new way from the depths of their distress. Peter, Elijah and the disciples discovered that their vision of who God was their understanding of the way God is present in the world was transformed by their experience of him in the midst of all of the storms that threatened to overwhelm them. Elijah had wanted so desperately to see his world changed. He had wanted to see the evil regime of Ahab overthrown, the false idols of Baal banished, and he knew, he knew that he had a calling from God to play his part in this. So Elijah had started out as an activist, all thunder and whirlwind, and God had been with him in his activism. But in time, he was brought to a realization that the battle was not going to be won through glorious skirmishes. Evil could only be defeated by taking the deeper, longer, harder path that was revealed once the storm, earthquake and fire had passed by. This is the lesson of the sound of silence. Activism can only get you so far. And there, there is an old adage for preachers that if you're not preaching to yourself first, you have nothing to say to the congregation. So hear this, Woodman. Activism can only get you so far. Hear this, Bloomsbury. The wonderful activist spirit of Bloomsbury. Activism will only get us so far. It was the same with Jesus and the disciples in the boat. The miracles they'd witnessed, miracles of healing, wholeness and feeding, these were indeed signs of the coming of the kingdom of peace. They were dramatic battles against the powers of evil and doubt, but the disciples had to come to that moment of realization that the ultimate victory over evil will not be won through activism, but through the cross, through the ultimate moment of stopping As the disciples 
had hoped it would all come about through a whirlwind assault on Jerusalem to free the people of God from the forces of Rome. They thought they were building up to a revolution and they had to realize that victory over evil would only in the end be achieved by following a harder, more dangerous and less activist path. It was only by following Jesus on the Via Della Rosa, the way of the cross, by waiting through the long silence of Easter Saturday, that ultimate victory over the dark powers of death would be won. It was only through the silencing of all other voices at the moment of the crucifixion that God could be heard to speak the decisive words of new life in Christ. It was only in the silence of the garden that the tomb would be found empty. So what of us? Do we, like Elijah, Elijah long to see evil powers and principalities banished from our world? Do we, like the disciples, long to see peace and justice and righteousness? Are we up for those battles? If so, then we can rejoice that we are on the side of the angels. But the reality of our lives is we don't have to look very far to encounter the false idols of materialism, the false gods of hatred and suspicion. We don't have to look very far to find the seductive lures of power and wealth, the creeping suspicion of the other and the fear of the different. And in the face of such evil in our world, we might well ask ourselves how this battle against the principalities and powers will ever be won. Sometimes we may see glimpses of the coming kingdom of God in the midst of our own frantic lives. Sometimes we may find ourselves in a whirlwind of godly activity as we play our part in unmasking the false prophets for what they are. Sometimes we may see the hungry fed and realize that the kingdom of God is truly at hand. Sometimes we may even walk on water. But then we may begin to sink to the depths. We may find that we want nothing more than to hide in a cave and wish ourselves dead. Sometimes we may doubt whether God is with us at all. And at such moments, when we are with the disciples in the boat, or Simon Peter sinking into the lake, or Elijah alone in his cave, it is at moments such as these that we catch a tantalizing glimpse of the way of Christ. Sometimes we may need to kneel in the silence, waiting for the voice of God to come to us in a new way, as the incessant noise and frenetic activity of our lives are stilled. Sometimes we may need to hear afresh the voice of Christ, telling us not to fear as the storm rages around us. Sometimes we may need to clasp the hand of Christ, our only hope, as the waves threaten to overwhelm us, our rescuer from the forces that would drag us down to the depths. Sometimes we may need to have faith that God is with us and has not left us, even when it feels that we are alone and abandoned. The victory of Christ, you see, is not about activism and activity about power and politics, because one day these two shall pass.
Rather, the ultimate victory of Christ involves the way of the cross. The broken body and poured out blood of Christ on the cross, the bread and the wine that sustain us. And this involves the solitude and fear of the cave, the long night on the lake when the storm has turned against us, sinking into the water we once walked on. And such wisdom leads us to a new realisation that at times such as these, we are walking with our Lord the way of the cross. And we can be assured that when all else has failed us, we can still hear the true voice of our Lord, calling us to trust him as we go together to the cross, as we go to apparent defeat, calling us to wait in silence through Easter Saturday and then to meet him in the quiet of the garden of the glorious resurrection and new life that are ours by faith. It is as we tread the path of the cross that we hear the voice of God whispering to us again. Can you hear the voice of the Spirit in the sound of sheer silence? For the people who shiver, cold and alone, in caves on mountains, exhausted by the world, exhausted by the effort of living. We lift them to you this morning, Lord, that they may hear your voice in the quiet, hear your voice come to them where they are in their need. For the people who stumble in the dark, full of fear, overwhelmed by the waves and the storms, we lift them up to you as well this morning. Reach out your hand to them speak comfort quiet their fears Lord we come before you this morning from the places in our lives we come before you from whatever places we come from in our lives whether they be dark caves or overwhelming waves. We pray that you will speak to us. Reach out your hand to us. Lord, give us eyes to see those who struggle around us. Give us hearts moved with your compassion. Let us be your voice in those quiet times to others. Let us be your hand reaching out in comfort to those that are filled with fear. Lord, we lift up this church to you. 
this community. This family. We pray this afternoon as we gather that you will be amongst us in our midst, leading us. And as we go from this place, you will be walking beside us, whatever we're facing as we go. Lord, we pray you meet us where we are this morning. Comfort us, encourage us, challenge us. In the silence now, we lift up our hearts to you. Open ourselves to you, that you may speak to us. One who binds us together in community as one body, fire us by the Spirit, inspire us to live the life of the Son, and indwell us with the love of our divine parent, this day and forevermore. Amen.